thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up. If you don't get up, I'll spit! It was, it was nice, and then I think uh, that last bit spoiled it just a little bit. But what, what exactly was that that we were listening to? Well, then? <clears throat> there was another email from our friend Woody. Um, What's up, he says. As requested, I've created a shorter, more mellifluous sound for the listener being bombarded by the more aggressive one in the morning. So remember last week we had, had a listener who, who liked the... Uh, the more aggressive approach of our last sort of opening theme, but wanted a a more mellifluous sound. Anyway, so Woody has done that. I think I'd like to hear it again, actually. Hopefully, he says, this will uh, help several people face the day and wake up feeling as trendy as you two guys do. (laughs) When was the... Actually, on that, when was the last time you woke up feeling trendy? Um, That would have been 1978. I... Because I had I, I had purchased uh, Marky Moon by television, and actually, funnily enough, I remember very well waking up in uh, in the bedroom of the house at Forty Two B that we used to live at, and and looking over at my record collection, and at the front of it was Marky Moon by television, and thinking, "Gosh, musical, I'm, I'm cutting edge." Musical contrast. I think the last time I felt trendy, when I woke up feeling trendy, was the day I went, I was introducing Bross and Debbie Gibson at Wembley. Did you introduce them? At, at, yeah. Wow. Blimey. Yeah. And that thing about waking up, who, which actor was it? And it may have been Humphrey Bogart. It was somebody, somebody who famously took a drink who said, you know, I feel sorry for teetotalers. I can't imagine waking up and thinking that's the best I'm going to feel all day. <laughs> Very good. Well, look, here's, let, let's do it again. So here's, here's Woody's more gentle WhatsApp wake Welcome. <laughs> Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up. If you don't get up, I'll spit! It's the That's addition- a very good, it's a very good impression of Dougal and the Blue Cat. That really is. I actually sound like Eric Thompson there. No, you don't. You sound like Terry Jones doing one of his women's voices in Monty Python. Do I? Hello, exactly. Mrs. Smoker. That's Hello, Mrs. Is Non-Smoker. But it's the addition of the harp that makes the word mellifluous work, yes. I think. And an exact definition Thanks, of mellifluous? Harp, harp-like. Does that... Does, I don't know. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean... Harp. I don't know. I'm thinking... <clears throat> uh, gentle. Yes. Easing and pleasing on the ear. Yes. Is what I'm thinking. Would you go along with that? Y- yeah, I... Th- I yeah. Um, Alex Hewitt, accomplished beat maker and burrito enthusiast. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show since 2010, and I hail from San Francisco, California. As though there's any other one. After listening there to probably the... probably is another San Francisco. There probably think? is a San Francisco in, like, Iceland or okay. somewhere. After listening to the incredible remix of your show done by Wittertainment Listener, which was Woody, I decided it was time that I make my own. I'm amazed that I hadn't thought to sample what is clearly a massive goldmine for remix material. Hopefully I'm not stepping on anyone's toes, and this just encourages more musicians to insert Wittertainment into a never-ending abundance of super-fresh beats. Banging. Exactly. Pardon the slang, I'm an American, says Alex Hewitt. Anyway, he's come up with this. What's up, what's up, what's up? What do you call it? Rubik's Cube. Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Complete. Went Rubik's Cube, but they've called it a limited edition Cumber Cube. Catch. Cum, 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 Cumber Cube. Catch. Cumber Thank cube. Thank you. Thank you. Catch you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come, 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 cumber cube. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Catch you. Thank you. Thank you. What's up? What's up? What's up? Um, I want the DVD. I don't want that. <laughs> what's that noise? I don't know. Um. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm bored. 
Robin was dancing in That's, the control That booth. was very good. Alex, thank you very much. We can tell you are an accomplished beat maker. We haven't uh, had an abundance of super fresh beats on the show. No, we haven't. Evs. No. You d- it, many people wrote in to say that the, uh, the PR company that sent in the Cumbercube missed a trick, that it should clearly have been called the Cube Cumber. That's very good. It is. I'm, is. I'm just, right now, there's somebody in that PR department who being is fired. being fired for not thinking <clears throat> of... Alex, thank you very much indeed. You know, we welcome all kinds of stuff, entertainment that's free, that we don't have to pay for. Yeah. <clears throat> thank you very much. Well, guess who's been back on? I don't know. Um, the Surgeon Commander, Dave Ebola Gay. Very good. FRCR, Royal Navy, first prize, Lettuce Village Show, 2009, and occasional pipe smoke. And I feel the need to point out once again, because somebody didn't get the joke, that, that's, that the Enola Gay was a very famous... Plane. Aeroplane and hit for orchestral movies in the dark. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, dear Pete and Dud, many thanks for reading out my colleague John Reed's email some months ago. It took some explaining to our shipmates that having an email read out by two bickering middle-aged blokes put us in almost hysterical glee. We are now both safely home, and I'm catching up on a few months of podcasts. It would seem the Ebola gay nickname might stick, but I've heard worse. Could you say a big was hop? to our friends who are still on the RFA Argus and all wit attainees involved in the fight against Ebola. Another ten years at least, please, as we may need you on our next deployment, wherever that may be. So thanks very much very for the email. So that's now... How many emails have we had from the good gentleman? Um, I mean, several. I think he's becoming a regular correspondent. Well, y- yes. I mean, there, are, there just seem to be a number of people and they're looking for a few home comforts so they can download yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we send all our greetings and all the headlines this week have highlighted yet again how dangerous the work that they're doing is. So to David Bolagay and all his colleagues... Thank you very much. Uh, past and present, on the RFA Argus, thank you for downloading uh, this. So this is a bit of a weird show because um, the actual heart of the show is quite short. It's yes. a short heart. It's also in the wrong place. It's at 12.30 rather than 2. And it's, it's coming to you live from Millbank, which, as we know, is the political... Uh, wing of the BBC yes. as opposed to from our, our usual home in Radio 5. So if we sound slightly different it's because we're in a different studio at a different time on the way a different in, length. On the way into the studio I was just talking to John Pienaar. Yes I saw. What were you talking about? You, you, we were talking quite intensely about Well something. I was just asking him about the election and stuff. And, and does he have the And results? you can only have those kind of Yes he's got all the results what already. Is, already. Well What's he'd it? be amazed. Is it Jeremy Clarkson? You'd be absolutely amazed. <laughs> no, we were just shooting the breeze, you know, and this is the kind of thing that you can do if you come from... I'm, I'm surprised you didn't tweet a picture, shooting the breeze with John with Pienaar. <laughs> Hashtag top beats. Hashtag homie. <laughs> um, Rachel Lord, BA Honours in Applied Geology, Grade 4 in Piano. I have been a faithful podcaster for one and a half years. Big deal. Anyway, well, <laughs> that's not that impressive, is it, really? 18 months... I'm still trying to convert my boyfriend over to the dark side. We're apparently the dark side. And it's proving to be a slightly more challenging task than I had anticipated. This has been made harder by the fact that I recently moved to the city of Colima on the western coast of Mexico two weeks ago to volunteer for three months in the Colima University Volcanic Observatory Department, where I'm studying and analysing the most active volcano in Colima. We should do a show from there. Yeah, I can, can I... Absolutely guarantee you that we're not going anywhere near an active volcano. Well, why not? <clears throat> we could... Well, the words active and volcano, I think, are but the reason we're not doing like that. They like us to get out and, you know, go to the front line. No, they don't. Actually. No, they don't. No, they like us to stay exactly where we are. The last time we were, we, we were going to do something that was even vaguely risky, we didn't do it because we were buried under a mountain of forms that we'd have to fill so out where would courses you, we'd have to would go you on. Not, would you not like to go to the Kalima University Volcanic Observatory Department? I'd love to go there. Yes, that sounds absolutely fabulous. But the, but I imagine that the observatory department isn't actually by the... I thought you were suggesting that we went to the, to the volcano. Yeah, for the afternoon. Come back for tea. Robin, this has been are quite... we going to do the show by a volcano? We are. All right. Excellent. There you go. See? We, uh, look, on the cru- why don't we just include it as part of the cruise? We could drop in. Into the volcano. Yeah, we could have a volcanic <laughs> section. OK. How close can we get? Anyway, we're... like Krakatoa east of Java. Can we do it in an airship? You know, we add things to the playlist all the time. We are just adding places Ooh. to go to on the cruise. On the subject of the playlist, um, <clears throat> since you just brought it up, can we find, from the, for the playlist, the, um, there's a wonderful song in Krakatoa east of Java called Old Fashioned Girl. OK. 
Can you fu- can we put that on? It is because it when I saw Krakatoa east of Java, which you reminded me because of volcano, and I said airship. And isn't it west of Java anyway? Yeah, Krakatoa mm. isn't east of Java. They didn't know that. They just you know they just went, hey, Krakatoa sounds foreign. Probably east of I don't know. And but there's a in the middle of it. There's this absolutely bonkers musical sequence called Old Fashioned Girl. If we could have that, that would make my day. Huh? What's he saying? Who's the artist, is what he's saying. Oh, uh... Is it the, I'm just an old-fashioned girl? Is it that one? No, you're thinking of an old-fashioned millionaire. No, it's yeah. not that. Hang on, let me... Uh... Oh, now a man looks something up you on a computer. You carry on, you carry on. I'll find you exactly. May, may not be, I'll just check. We're halfway through carry Rachel's... On. I am! Okay. Oh, sorry, go, halfway go. Halfway through Rachel's email. Remember yep. her? Yes, I do. She's studying the active volcanoes in Canada. That's right. How many can there be? Anyway... This has been quite an adjustment, she continues, but your ever-faithful arguing and chit-chatter has truly helped me to settle in in my new surroundings. Arguing and chit-chatter? I, therefore, wanted to send a heartfelt thanks your way and send lots of love to my mother and sister, also big fans, and the rest of my family, and my boyfriend. On a side note, a taxi driver drove past me yesterday reading a newspaper against his steering wheel. What? gives you an idea of the sort of safe driving that they have out here. Imagine that, you order a new... You order a local taxi, and the guy's actually reading the paper at the same time. Anyway, so thank you very much indeed for all the correspondence. Uh, <clears throat> we'll start with the actual show in just a moment, when once a man has it, found... I just wanted to find out whether this song is actually going to... I wrote about it in my book, which I'm not allowed to mention. No, no, I didn't mention it. I didn't mention it. It was... Here we go, here we go, here we go, go back there. There we go, I'm an old-fashioned girl. So, Bob Well, yes, it is an excruciating rendition of old. Of I'm an old-fashioned girl by Barbara, W-E-R-L-E, okay? It's her singing it, she didn't write it, obviously. People don't sound as though they've just become part of our pre-show you have, conversation. You have to hear this, because it is absolutely brilliant. I think, well, it is says, it brilliant in the way the song from Jeremy was brilliant? It says, yeah, it says, it says this, tr- but the real showstopper record. is what was excruciating rendition of I'm an Old Fashioned Girl, which she performs while stripping off her Victorian-era clothes as a prelude. Are you going to read the internet before with the show starts? <laughs> okay, fine. Have you finished? Yes. No more websites you want to peruse? No, that's absolutely there? fine. Thank you, Simon. I just, okay. you know, you started it by mentioning volcanoes. Well, I'm just reading out a uh, listener's email from Rachel Lord. Anyway, th- on with the show. We are coming for various reasons that are far too complicated to explain. From Millbank. From Millbank, the heart of the BBC's Westminster uh, operation. Right. So if I start referring, because just where we did the MPs panel for Five Live. So if I introduce you as Michael Gove, for example, that you just that would be understandable. How long did it take him to get that joke in? It was, well, it was the... But here, here would be... Kick a man while he's down. I don't look like find. Michael Gove. Can we just be absolutely clear there about this, all right? Well, I don't look like Michael Gove. It's not. It's perfectly fine to look like no, Michael Gove. No, it's not perfectly it fine. Would you rather look like Richard Nixon or Michael Gove? Richard or... Nixon. Are we in broadcast-sensitive times? I, I look like Richard Nixon. I do look like Richard Nixon. I have no problem with that. A little bit of Michael Gove. Anyway, <clears throat> dear Marquis de Sade and Marquis de Smith... <laughs> says Michael very good well it's F-E acute A-U-X in Baden-Württemberg so I think few Michael few (laughs) fair I think it's Michael fair I was enjoying your particularly erudite podcast uh, earlier this week on a long train journey from Berlin to Stuttgart when I was saddened if not likely distraught to hear that this week's show will be cut down to under an hour then I remembered that my generic mp3 device has a slow playback function for podcasts. So I tried it out in the hope that I might be able to squeeze more enjoyment out of what time I was allowed to have. The effect was quite enjoyable in a dream sequency kind of fashion, but I couldn't tell who was who. You sounded like a two-headed clone of Barry White under sedation, but in a good way, says Michael, <laughs> helpfully. If any other listeners want to try this out with a new podcast... They should mix a really, really good gin and tonic before listening. It might be just the ticket. And if you, if you, and if you haven't got that facility, and, mm. and obviously if you haven't got a good G&T, my, we've kind of recreated uh, this moment. So uh, if you want to extend the glory uh, of this programme, we can only do it by sounding a little bit like this. Day with a yellow one and uh, Duvani, the director of Selma, all suffered slights that will hopefully be rectified in the future. <laughs> but how in the name of all that is sane could the Lego movie get missed in the best animated Is that you? You're going to have to get it in me, baby. That is the... Oh, she's home. She's back at home. Dun, 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 dun. 
Anyway, two-headed clone of Barry White under sedation. <clears throat> Michael, thank you very much indeed. Um, I don't know which one of those was you and which was me. It, it, you know, it all it all it all, it all yeah. blended rather strangely. Um, Alfie Penfold's been on, by the way. Great. Uh, my name is Alfie Penfold. I am 11 years old and I live in Norwich. After recently completing a challenge for comic relief in which I did not watch TV for a week which is a big achievement for wow. me, says Alfie. I stumbled across your wonderful show while scrolling through a list of podcasts that would invariably provide my entertainment for the approaching seven days. May I say now that you have enthralled me. This guy's 11 and he's using the word enthralled. Yeah, I know. And I still spell it properly. Yes. That's I really st- extraordinary. I still listen every week, despite finishing my fundraising challenge. I visit my local cinema quite often, and many of my viewing choices have been dependent on your reviews. For example, Big Hero 6, Night at the Museum, etc. Mm-hmm. I would just like to thank you for making this show, and I hope you both feel better this week. P.S. I also subscribe to the Empire podcast, Boo Hiss, but I much prefer your church. I didn't know that there was such a thing. Well, the Empire podcast. And is it the Church of Wit and Entertainment? Because I can never quite catch the proper name on the show. Well, Alfie, it is Wittertainment. It's one word. And thank you very much indeed for And it was nothing to do with wit. It was to do with wittering. Yes. That, so it's I mean, not... anyone who listens to the show knows that there's very little to do with wit in general. <laughs> not much entertainment. So look, we've, a we've, lot of wittering. We've barely got any time. So should no, we do so the box of on. 10? Yeah. Uh, and then we'll get a movie review underway just yes. before the one o'clock news. Mm-hmm. And then after the one o'clock news, we'll carry on yeah. until John Inverdale says, come to me. All right. Does he say it in that voice? Very imperious. OK, yes. fine. Uh, so number 10 is It Follows. Which I like. It has divided people. There are some people who've been to see it who have complained that it's not scary. And there are others who've been to see it have been completely creeped out. But I think the thing we can all agree on, it, you know, as a huge debt to uh, to John Carpenter and to Halloween, it's just, it's... It's kind of like Halloween remade by Larry Clark. Um, there are there are problems with it, but I think overall it's a fairly impressive and engaging work. Michael Douglas Fernandez, uh, who is in Dublin but Brazilian, or and is Brazilian. After so many good reviews of it follows, I went to see the film last weekend. I couldn't be more disappointed. Yeah, I have to confess it's a well-made film, great scenes, convincing performance, but the plot contains too many cliches and isn't scary at all, in my opinion. The film isn't original and far from the best of the year in this category. I, I absolutely agree that it's not original. I mean, it is very steeped in its, in its history. I mean, it, has, it owes a huge debt to John Carpenter. Uh, David Dunn, it follows, possibly the best US horror movie this century, maybe even since Halloween, rare for a horror film nowadays to generate a genuine feeling throughout a real terror and dread and to be just so damn scary, an instant classic. So so those two pretty much illustrate what I was saying, that it has definitely divided people. Uh, Herbie Cuff, it follows, was good enough that I wanted it to be better. I found the Gen X characters and dialogue quite irritating and the grotesque appearance of the Wraith to be quite distracting. However, it's got a terrific final act and some cracking visual tableau, my eyes often darting around the screen to see if there was anyone walking towards the protagonist. It's a three-star film with ambition and heart. I just wanted more nerve and bite. Playing with tropes only works up to a point. Uh, one of the things that it does manage to do, is hinted upon that, is it does make you constantly looking towards the edge, edge of the frame and it makes the spectre of just somebody walking at a slightly slow pace very creepy. And I think for that it is to be applauded. Number nine is Unfinished Business. The brilliant thing about Unfinished Business, which is horrible and is a really genuinely terrible film, is that when we reviewed it last week, you said, um, you know, what are you going to do if this goes in at number one? Uh, and, and I said, you know, if it goes top five, I'm going to be upset. It's number nine. It is apparently Vince Vaughn's uh, worst opening film evs since he started sort of you know making uh, you know big features um and that's terrifically uh, reassuring news because what it means is people have woken up to just how bad the film is i mean up until now he's he's constantly been doing these awful bromance movies that are just you know soul destroying and certainly when i was reviewing unfinished business yesterday and you said how well is it going to do at the, at the box office there was a hot, part of me that thought oh it's going to do well and that's so but no fand- well done everybody for staying away from unfinished business and it's happening uh, you know both here and in america no one's interested, and that's great. Not everyone has stayed away from it. No, I, I know some people will, and I did... Pauline Eyre. Yeah. Good doctors, I, for one, am glad they made Unfinished Business because it gave me the joy of a proper Commodian rant. It's been too long, and now I feel cleansed. But she didn't go to the cinema. No, hang on. Simon Meadows, I saw Unfinished Business. I didn't think it was that bad. I laughed the required six times, mainly at Tom Wilkinson and his after-work activities. I think Mark really has to deal with his Vince Vaughan issues. Brackets, winking emoji, close bracket. I haven't got Vince Vaughan issues. I want Vince Vaughan to be better because because I remember seeing Swingers when it came out and doing a big thing about it for Radio 1 and thinking, this guy's great. And then 
ever since then, it, there, is the, there is the Adam Sandler factor. If they ever make anything that's really good, it hurts you more when they're really terrible because you know that they know better. Elliot from Cardiff, I'm glad to announce that I wasn't the only one in my uh, mid-morning screening of the offensively unfunny Unfinished Business. There was channelling the works of Keanu Reeves in The Day the Earth Stood Still, as almost all of my fellow patrons adopted similar contemptuous feelings of dread and uncertainty throughout its 100-minute running time. Boasting the acting talents of Tom Wilkinson and Nick Frost is perhaps the only reason I ventured into the screening, though I was slightly interested to see if Vince Vaughan could continue on promise shown in his previous film, Delivery Man. Suffice to say, by 25 minutes, I was rolling in the aisles, but not in the way the screenwriters had intended. Uh, when a film is so bad, you think even Vince Vaughan should know better, maybe it's not even worth your time. And the weird thing that, of course, Ken Scott, who, did, who directed Delivery Man, which was a remake of his, uh, of his Starbuck film, actually got the best performance out of Vince Vaughan in a very long time. So I kind of went in thinking, well, maybe we're in that mode, but we weren't. Still Alice is at number eight. I mean, I, I think it's a very, very well-made and interesting film with a terrific performance by Julianne Moore. Very, very sad news uh, about Richard Glatzer recently. Um, if you get a chance, go and he's see the, uh, the, the co-director. Director, yeah. and he's passed away this Yes, week. exactly. And, um, uh, and he was directing, as Julianne Moore said, when she was on the programme, through an iPad at one point because his uh, you know, motion was, was, was so restricted. And he said that you know, what he wanted to do was to make movies, and he did, and he made a movie that, for which Julianne Moore won an Oscar. If you get a chance, and you, there's a film called Quintanera, which is wonderful, which they made some years before. If you get a chance to see that, it might turn up on, on, on television, then really do check it out. It is just terrific. Uh, Dr Naomi White on an email. I've just come from a viewing of Still Alice, which, thanks to a few too many personal resonances, I largely cried my way through, but silently there were no code violations. Are you allowed to cry, cry? audibly? Does that break the code? I don't think it does break the code because, I, yeah, yeah I, I think, I think if a fine. film reduces you to sobbing, then it's doing its job. Perhaps Sunday evening was a bit of a daft time to go and see this, but it was worth it and cathartic. Agreed it would make an interesting double bill with Away From Her, but I'm surprised not to have heard the parallel drawn with Wit, starring Emma Thompson, for whom Mark's prefix to Julianne Moore as The Always Wonderful <laughs> could arguably also apply. Okay. As a film about terminal cancer, it's perhaps a particularly interesting comparison given the character's Alice's line about wishing she had cancer uh, instead. An astonishing performance by Julianne Moore undeniably lifted from the uh, lifted the film and something about its almost mundane tone felt appropriate given the topic. Having worked as a clinical psychologist with individuals and families affected by dementia and also in palliative care, I found Julianne's portrayal painfully humanising and I can't help but feel it should be a mandatory part of care home staff inductions and I plan to poach some YouTube clips from this film for staff training in future. It was also a timely watch for International Women's Day. Here's to celebrating the power, longevity and beauty of the likes of Julianne Moore, Emma Thompson and Julie Christie. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. And uh, you're, you're right, it is an interesting comparison. With so that's, uh, that's number eight. Kingsman's number seven, we've kind of done that and, and been there, do you think? Yeah, we're still holding, still still holding in there. You know, Matthew Vaughan said is. that you, you judge the success of a movie by whether it makes its money back, and it certainly has. As is Shaun the Sheep, uh, which is there, number six. Still fabulous after all these years. Everyone's and how great that, that it, it, rather like Paddington, it is crossing <laughs> boundaries in terms of age. Big Hero 6 is at number five. You got told off by... Um, by my uh, child tree for laughing too Laughing too loudly, too loudly which Never is a code of, a ever code of conduct before. Violation. Too much laughter, sir. Uh, Chappie is at number four. Well, here's an interesting thing with Chappie is um, that, uh, you know, it, I said that the problem with it is that it's, it's certificated as 15. And consequently, the sort of the younger viewers who I think would really, really like it can't go and see it because of the swearing and violence. And older viewers who'd like to the swearing and violence and explosions may be put off by the sort of childishness of it. And I now, I've had experience of a couple of, uh, of people who were slightly below the, the age that they should have been to get into the cinema, but like, you know. How was that allowed to happen? I don't know. Bad parenting, I don't know I how that happened. Who absolutely loved it. And it does make me think, once again, that the, the problem that Chappie has is that it's ideal you know, audience would be, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds. And the 15 certificate, which is applied completely correctly by the BBFC, actually excludes that audience. Um, it's it, it is you can tell from watching the film that they have wrestled with how to play it, with how much, you know, older material to have, because actually at the heart of it, it's short circuit. I mean, it is like it has the same spirit as short circuit. And that's what I like about it. Tim in Leeds, saw Chappie, it lives up to its title. It's a dog's dinner. Uh -huh. uh, Aidan, age 16. 
After seeing Chappie last weekend, I am most definitely as cross as a frog in a sock. I've mean? never heard that before, but That's I'm definitely going to be using that in conversation. Mad as a box of frogs, I've heard before, but not... Any of the charm and ingenuity that was omnipresent in District 9 was lost in Neil Blomkamp's current cinema release, featuring some of the flimsiest plot lines in recent memory, like Dev Patel's character basing major life decisions on cat posters in his cubicle, (laughs) or how a couple of gaming consoles can display one of the most complex concepts in human existence. Honestly, the only reason the film was even worth watching was for Charlotte Coppola's sympathetic motion capture performance. Who's terrific. Uh, Aidan, thank you. G.P. Milton. Friday, I went with my dad to see Chappie. We both enjoyed it immensely. Knowing the price of a cinema trip these days, we checked out some reviews before going and found them mixed. But having enjoyed both District 9 and Elysium, as well as being fans of De Antwort, we thought we'd go along. I was so glad we did. It was brilliant. After hearing your review, giving some thought to your comments about the somewhat confused tone of the movie, I was keen to respond. My dad grew up in Joburg, and I've been there several times myself. I think the movie's tone was an accurate representation of the place that South Africa has become. What those who haven't been there have to understand is that Joburg is a very tonally mixed place, much like the film itself. It has the rather alien combination of both innocence and violence. I know Simon isn't a fan of De Antwort. Actually, I didn't, I didn't say that. I just think they you can't didn't act. Like the, yeah. They just can't act. That's the problem. <laughs> but they're also an accurate representation of this. It's hard to find hope in a place like South Africa, but somehow people do. Neil Blomkamp's films... Uh, show the world the strength of those who continue to find this hope as well as everything that is stacked against them. Uh, any GP Milton signs off by saying, I've only been an adult for a month and I'm already writing emails to the BBC. A uh, voice in my head just said, apparently Hugh Jackman says, Mad's a frog in a sock in Chappie. Although I, I, I have to say that didn't stick with uh, me. That, that was a very a very uh, interesting email. Thank you very much for that, that perspective. Uh, James Lewis, the last time I emailed into your programme was my disappointment with Pacific Rim. And it pains me a great deal to once again bemoan the bloated work of someone who I thought was a visionary director. As a fellow Wittertainy wrote in last week, Chappie just isn't good enough. It takes a great idea, setting and aesthetic, and just blows it. After a very promising documentary-style opening, which mirrored District 9, things just collapsed, narratively, tonally, and character-wise. Indeed, I just don't know what the filmmakers were thinking with Chappie's characterisation. He wasn't Jar Jar, but he was darn close, and most of my time in his company was more than a little cringe-making. In a recent interview, Blumkamp very tellingly said that he loathes the writing and filming process, and that his favourite part is the pre-writing creativity that goes into concept-building. Having watched, having watched Chappie, I can understand the utter mess that it is the director simply didn't like making it and the bizarre tonal shifts two-dimensional characters and rubbish weapons corporation are evidence of a vision compromised uh, thank you for that so 50 shades is at number three okay i think that. we've covered it focus is at number two out of focus thank you uh and the second best exotic uh, marigold hotel straight in at number one. one again absolutely tearing up the box office and demonstrating that the gray pound the silver surface are you know it's a force to be reckoned with Tracy Henderson took mum to a lunchtime uh, showing for her birthday at Gold Class in Sydney. We were served food and drinks whilst we were in recliner chairs with our feet up. By the way, when they advertise that in, you know, selected cinemas, does that yeah. appeal to you? Not no. at all. Not in the slightest. No, I don't think so. Anyway, despite our reservations, we loved it, says Tracy. If I hadn't seen the first one and didn't have a comparison, I probably would have thought it was even better. Yes, there were too many stories. Yes, the actors all seemed to be having a terribly good time. But I liked the stories and I like watching people having a good time. Mum and I, uh, and from what I could hear, the rest of the 65-plus demographic had a great time. Second best exotic Marigold Hotel is the UK's number one, as we suspected it probably would be. Yeah, and I have to say good for it because... it is when it first came out. It was a movie that that broke a demographic. You know, the first one, the, the best exotic marigold hotel, same as King's Speech, suddenly demonstrated that actually the teenage audience was not the be all and end all of everything. And second best exotic, although I don't think it is as good as best exotic, does demonstrate that that there is an audience that are not being well served by cinema elsewhere. And as you know, Claire Bins and Picture House Cinemas were saying, this will fill the afternoon auditoriums for weeks, if not months to come. Yeah, and, for, and good for it. And aimed, aimed at people who don't want to watch a movie on their phone or their laptop. Yeah, want to go and see it in the tea cinema. Tea and biscuits. Tea and biscuits goes down well with the, you know, with the tea and a biscuit. It absolutely does, yeah. So, tea and a biscuit goes down well with the tea and a biscuit. Yeah, no, the film goes down well okay. with the tea and a biscuit, yeah. Uh, Mayo at bbc.co.uk if you want to take part. It's uh, six minutes to one o'clock. We're here because uh, the racing is on in about half an hour's time. What's new? Run all night. Liam Neeson. You've seen the poster. And it, but, no, but go on. It just looks like, it just looks like Taken 4. He's doing the same thing. He's got he? a very particular set of skills, and he actually isn't embarrassed about that anymore. In this one, he is, guess what? He's a troubled, haggard, 
former hitman wrestling with his demons. At the beginning of the film, however, something happens, which means that his son is now in trouble from his former... Not um, his daughter. <clears throat> no, his son. Subtle change. Yeah, yeah, so this time his son is in trouble from his former mob uh, associate, Sean McGuire, who's played by uh, Ed Harris. So what he has to do is to run around, punch and shoot people in order to defend his son. That's a twist on the old Taken thing. Here's a clip. I'm turning myself in. Not yet, they're not. Sean's going to come after you, Michael. And if he can't get to you, he's going to go after your family. Right now, you've got to worry about staying alive. And I'm the best chance you've got. I know how this works. I want people at his house. I want people right now, Sean's friends. got everyone meeting at the Abbey. Friends. And from there, they're going to start pulling your life apart. Friends, family, co-workers. Go! Anyone that can connect them to you. One night. That's all I'm asking. Listen to your father for one night. If I can't figure this out by the morning, I'll walk myself into the precinct and tell him I blew those two officers away. One night, and you never have to see me again. One night. So you get the general tone. It's, it's, it's the same it's one, thing. It's the yeah. So it's whatever um, happened to Liam? It's written by uh, Brad Inglesby, who wrote um, Out of the Furnace, and there are times when it plays almost like a kind of B-movie straight-to-video remake of Road to Perdition. You remember all the conversations in Road to Perdition between Tom Hanks and Paul Newman about a son who I think is, may also be called Michael, about, a son, you know, in the, we did this, you know, we got into this life, but the thing is, and the young kid, he's going to get that. And there, there is one sequence in uh, Run All Night, which I keep wanting to call Up All Night, there is one. That's a radio show. I know it is, yes, and a very fine radio show. There is one sequence in which it almost looks like they just sat down and said, I want to do that scene from Road to Perdition. And what Liam Neeson is trying to do, on the one hand, is to remind you that actually he's a, you know, he's a thespian, he has uh, actorly chops, he's somebody who has been you know, greatly fated for performances in movies like Schindler's List or Kinsey, and he's also an action star. So this is one of the things that's trying to walk the line between you know, character development and action. And last time this happened, it was Walk Among the Tombstones, which was absolutely terrible. And I have to say, this does at least lay the ghost of Walk Among the Tombstones in the grave. However... It very, very quickly gets all the stuff about the haggard. I mean, yeah, at the beginning, you know, Liam Neeson looks hungover and he looks bothered and he looks troubled and he's got these demons and he's got these ghosts. And then about 30 minutes in, they go, can we start running, jumping, shooting and punching? And they go, fine. And then the rest of the movie plays out in that fashion. It opens with an overhead shot of Liam Neeson apparently dying. And the first thing he says is, I've done terrible things in my life. You think, okay. And, and the screening... Yeah, we, we've seen we've them got, quite exactly, recently. We know. The screening we were in, you could literally hear, as he said that, everyone just with this, and, and we're back. It's like, you know, don't change the hair, don't change the clothes, don't change the voice. Just, you know that thing that you've been doing, Liam, in those other movies? Just do that. Except this has moments in which it's trying to be more characterful. It's directed by Jean-Colette Serra, who made Nonstop, and I have to say had more fun with Liam Neeson in Nonstop. Because Nonstop is absolutely ridiculous. You remember Nonstop is the one when, again, he's, uh, he's, he's, got, he's got a drink problem, he's got ghosts, he's got things in his past, he's on an aeroplane, something terrible's happened, he has to figure out who the terrorist is and the way he's, he has to run up and down the aisles punching people. Yeah, they usually kind that's, of that's sort generally out, how it? it works, OK? So that was more fun... Because that was kind of sillier. This is like running, jumping, shouting and punching, but interspersed with these sort of characterful bits in which he and Ed Harris do it. And then, oh, and then, Ed Harris and then, is then, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fine. I mean, they're all fine. And then half the way through, there's a moment in about two-thirds of the way through when Nick Nolte turns up. And up until this point, everyone has been talking like this. And then Nick Nolte comes up and says, OK, this is it. Nick Nolte's voice. He's like, ah, ah. He looks like this great big sort of growl. Is that the same as your Tom Waits voice? <clears throat> I can't, is there a difference between I can't, Nick Nolte yeah, and Tom I can't Waits? do Nick Nolte. It's like everyone else is talking like they would be in the playground until Nick Nolte turns up. So it's rubbish, um, but it's not entirely unenjoyable rubbish. It's less enjoyable than nonstop. It's much better than A Walk Among the Tombstones. It's infinitely preferable to Taken 3 because at least it does its running, jumping, punching and shooting with a certain degree of nastiness. But it is a matter of you just go, Liam, Liam, really? I mean, again? Uh, just just a query because the news of sport coming up in just a moment. Oh, yeah, OK. Elan, uh, this is Elan who's in Oxford, wants Hello. you to suggest a great goofy comedy film for girls. Okay. 
Okay. Yesterday was International Women's Day. She says coincided with Family Film Night, and she's watching. Uh, he's watching with my wife and uh, two girls, aged seven and nine. Assume they've done Brave, Frozen, Milan, so Singing in so the Rain, what, what, and you get your gun. What, what age are those? Seven and nine. Seven and nine. Of the girls. Seven and nine. Yeah. And they want, and you, I'll allow you the seven minutes of the news and sport okay, fine. to come up with and uh, and general participation welcome 85058 so for, so a great, great goofy, goofy comedy for girls aged between 7 and 9 where the stars are girls or women okay fine fine this is uh, Elan in Oxford who by the way his, it says I've been listening for a few months now uh, and I have clear evidence that I am an awkward person I had avoided subscribing to the podcast because it was so popular on the basis that anything so appealing had to be you know too keen to please uh, and therefore a little bland you know that huge queue outside the shiny new restaurant that album you must buy in other words more evidence that I'm a snob anyway He's fallen under our chance. He has. But needs a great goofy comedy for girls. What are you going to suggest? Well, funnily enough, just the other night, I was watching the remake of Freaky Friday, um, you know, with Lindsay Lohan and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was enjoying it enormously. And I was reminded of how much I liked the original, which is, and I was just checking the certificate on them. So the original Freaky Friday from 1977 was a year. That's the one with Jodie Foster. And the remake Freaky Friday from 2003 is PG. Um, and actually, I mean, you can you can you can choose which of them you want to see. I mean, obviously, the, old, the 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 original with Jodie Foster has got this. It's much loved, and everyone's seen it. But I do think the remake is actually pretty good. I re- I mean, I remember enjoying it, and I remember laughing. And it was on television again. You know, you sit down and watch something that you haven't seen for a while, and you think, I hope this holds up. And it really did. It was really funny and charming, and because you know, it's an identity swap thing. Yeah. Mother and daughter swap personalities. Speaking speaking of which, and on the Lindsay Lohan vibe, I think you know it's worth mentioning Parent Trap. Which I yeah, which again you thought was really terrific. Well, I, we, you know, we watched it a thousand times, uh, but it, it's really good and very funny. Yeah. And if you've got nine and seven year old girls, then that's yeah. I think both of those good. would do pretty well, wouldn't they? But but Freaky Friday is really genuinely funny and touching and moving. Eight five zero five eight mayo at bbc.co.uk. Our time together is limited, yes. so uh, give us a brand new film. So Sweet Francaise, which is based on the uh, novel um, by Irene Nemirovsky, uh, posthumously published in 2004. It's set in uh, German-occupied France, a uh, small t- uh, town village of uh, Bussy, where uh, refugees from Paris uh, are arriving and, of course, the uh, German troops. The story centres nominally on Michelle Williams' character called Lucille, who is living with her very haughty uh, mother-in-law played by Kristen Scott Thomas and they are appalled to have a German officer, Matthias Gonnard's billeted upon them, particularly since her son, since uh, Kristen Scott Thomas's son and indeed Michelle Williams' husband is off fighting for the other side. As uh, the as a house guest, the German officer actually turns out to be strangely civilized and likable, and plays sensitive melodies on the piano. And wouldn't you know it, Michelle Williams' character starts at least to warm towards him, to the absolute disgust of her mother-in-law. I don't know why you ever married him. Was it the land? Your father lost all of his, so he sent you looking for someone else. <laughs> no, my father was dying. He wanted to find me a. Good man. A rich man. What have I done? I see everything that goes on in this house. Please, he only asked to go into the garden. You should have stood up and left. Do you expect me to be confined to my bedroom? I expect you to be a faithful wife. I am. Then how can you speak? How can you even breathe when you know that your husband has been hunted down by these animals? When I see them, I want to rip their eyes out. What's happened? We've just heard that... uh, Gaston's unit is in a labour camp in Germany. Your husband is a prisoner of war. This German is our enemy. Do you understand? Chris Scott Thomas in absolutely terrific form. Michelle Williams slightly more winsome. So the story is uh, they're you know living with this officer, and on the one hand there is apparently the beginnings of what may be. Uh, an illicit, a taboo romance happening. Meanwhile, the uh, the town, the village itself, is beset with class struggles. That Kristen Scott Thomas is a land uh, landlord for local farms, from whom she has extorted huge amounts of money, you know, large rents over the years, and they are turning on her and starting a whispering campaign. And on the one hand, the story is about the the small town, the village life, and all the internecine politics there. On the other hand, it is about this love story. That's it can be a putative love story, an emergent love story. This is you know the will they won't they are they actually finding some kind of common ground? Um, interestingly enough, I mean that's 
that element of it, the central story with the, the two characters, with the, the German captain and uh, Michelle Williams' character, Lucille, is, funnily enough, the least interesting part of the film. If anything, that's the part of it, that's the part of the story that drifts over into soapiness, into melodrama. I, I'm not sure that we that we end up thinking that the problems of two small people amount to more than a hill of beans in this crazy world, you know, to... Uh, misquote uh, Casablanca. What's more interesting is everything else that's happening around. What's more interesting is the, the incidental characters. And I think that what Saul Dibb and Matt Charman, who's the co-screenwriter, managed to do is to draw out a very interesting uh, picture of uh, of a small community in crisis, uh, in which there's there's uh, class divisions, there are social divisions, there are personal and political intrigues, all of which are rising to the surface. And it, it's true as well when it comes to the the performances. I mean, actually. Michelle Williams, who I think is a, is a brilliant uh, actress and is so great in things like uh, Blue Valentine, is probably here the, the the weakest element. You end up sort of really thinking about characters like Sam Riley's Benoit, who is this uh, firebrand character who's very, very pro-resistance despite he, he has an injured leg, but that's no way taking the, the spark out of his fire. You have... Uh, as I say, Kristen Scott Thomas playing the, the the mother-in-law. You have Harriet Walter and Lambert Wilson, who are these two dignitaries who are made up very much that at the beginning they're unsympathetic characters. One of the things the film does is it constantly wrong-foots you about how characters are. They're introduced in a certain way, and when you first meet them, they seem like archetypes. They seem like two-dimensional characters. But what's most impressive about the story is that it's very even-handed about all its characters. Everyone is actually shown to be not quite what you expect and the best moments in it, in fact the, the single best scene in it is uh, Lambert Wilson and Harriet Walter who are as I said incidental characters and initially set up as thoroughly unsympathetic who have one uh, encounter which is the strongest thing in the film the production design is very good um, it's shot in uh, uh, Belgium there's a little town in Belgium they've done the exterior work in which pays dividends and the production designer on it uh, won and well got an Oscar nomination for his production design on Saul Dibb's previous uh, film The Duchess which I like very much I thought was really terrific so although the story has a soapiness to it and obviously the story of the books uh, progress to the screen, you know, manuscripts that were written in 1940, the tr tragic death of the author, um, the manuscripts then found in the 90s and then published in 2004. In a way, that story is more extraordinary than anything that's on screen. But in terms of what you have, I think it's a more subtle, more complex movie than some critics have given it credit for. I think it's very handsomely mounted. I also like the fact that the way they've done the French-speaking uh, characters there is they're speaking in English with English accents. They're not doing the L-O-L-O, -O, oh yes, that kind of thing. Because what it means is the primary language this is an English language film. The characters who are speaking in French are therefore speaking with English accents. The Germans speak German and then speak English with German accents. But it kind of makes sense. You, okay. I didn't so, like uh, that last sentence. French characters yes, speak English, all speaking English with French. English accents, yes. with definable class, so posh English accents, less posh English accents. Okay, The Germans speak German, except when they speak French, in which case they speak English, but with German inflection, as you would hear it to a French ear. So it's completely consistent and it makes sense, unlike some of those movies we've seen in which everyone's speaking lots of foreign languages in English, but with strange accents. I think it, it, it's one of the cases in which... They've done that very well, and it, and, it, and, it, and it does make sense. So there is a soapiness to it. I mean, I think it's 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 not hugely groundbreaking. It is in some ways there's something slightly slightly sort of safe about it. But I think that what I like is it's very good at allowing all its characters to be complicated at unpicking the relationships between them at being much as we are as an audience not primarily centrally interested in this. Is it, isn't, isn't it romance, but in interested in everything else that's going on around it. It's the background detail, it's the incidental characters, it's the secondary stuff that really makes the film work. What's it called again? It's called Sweet Francaise. Sweet Francaise. Merci bien. Uh, mean, Girls, well, mean Girls has been suggested. Easy mean a. Girls is a 15, I'm yes. sure. I think that's right. So, nine, so for a 9 and 7-year-old, yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's pushing it even by your lax parenting standards. <laughs> easy, you, a and pitch, you, easy A and Pitch Perfect? Uh, again, easy. Well, easy is terrific, but I, I may be too too. Uh, I'll have to check the certificate. Okay, no, maybe. don't look. Don't look something up. Okay, on fine, fine, don't fine. Look, please. I like easy very much. Pitch Perfect is terrific. I think Pitch Perfect must be a twelve, 
But again, I'm just thinking seven to nine. I still think Freaky Friday is, Freaky is the best one. Be the best thing, either or original or, uh, or yeah. later version. Uh, on the subject of intermissions, just before we do uh, X plus Y, is X and Y okay, or does it have to be X plus Y? Well, I, it's written as X plus Y because it's written as a formula. So I think X plus Y. John Gonzalez, um, I was listening to your Sean Penn program whilst uh, stilling on the train. Is that a verb to still? I, I've never heard it used as a verb before, but then I hadn't heard empty chair. Anyway, okay. So anyway, he's stilling on a train. Uh, and he heard me say that uh, we used to have intervals in films in the UK. At our one local cinema, the Hazelmere Hall Cinema, we still have an intermission in every film. Wow. Uh, it is as far as you can get from the world of cine. The film runs to a wobbly halt and the audience pile out of the hall for refreshments. Cups of tea, ice cream or a sharpener. <laughs> Which I think is a great phrase. Uh, no popcorn. <laughs> what, a sharpener? Yes, just having a sharpener. We get about 15 minutes for our break before weaving back to our seats. I'm not sure if it's the presence of a proper intermission or the fact that the average age is about 70, but the code of conduct is usually impeccably well observed. Not much eating, very few loo breaks. All we need now is to add the national anthem, and it really would be the 1950s. And, <laughs> and maybe because we've got a shortened show, we can't do, maybe we can carry this on. If you're not going to play the national anthem at the end, what would what would be a good piece of music to play at the end? Florence, it's a lovely morning. Why? Would because you? more people need to play that more often. I've had so many tweets from people saying that ever since we mentioned it, they haven't been able to get it out of their head. You're the only person in the world who doesn't care for that film and that song. I think you'll find that actually I am speaking for the majority once again mm-hmm. in my role. The voice of reason. This is what this is what yeah. I have to do. Uh, anyway, so we can uh, we can do that, and you can email the show, and we'll pick it up uh, next week. Anyway, X plus Y. Yeah, so X plus Y, um, directed by Morgan Matthews, starring Oz Butterfield. So the sto- it's, it's a bittersweet kind of sentimental tale of interlocking awkwardnesses that centres on uh, Oz Butterfield's sort of teenage genius. He's a math genius, but he has uh, social interaction uh, issues. And um, he's, you know, uh, and what happens is that he, dis- he, he discovers that he's very, very good at maths. And his mother, who is wrestling with the loss of her husband, he's obviously sort of dealing with the loss of his father, uh, is told that what he ought to do is to you know, expand his uh, maths awareness. And as a result of it, Rafe Spall, who is a character who is dealing with his own physical problems, is a maths teacher who was, had got an anarchic streak, who was sort of slightly, his career it seems to be on the decline, takes him on, mentors him, discovers that he really is incredibly good at maths and that what he needs to do is to apply to become part of the, uh, the, uh, the team to go to the maths Olympiad, which will require, you know, basically doing maths at an Olympic competition level. At first, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it, but then he warms to the idea. Dear Mr Ellis, I am writing to let you know that, unfortunately, you have successfully earned a place on the United Kingdom math squad. Oh, my goodness! Oh, Nathan, darling. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Oh, Well done, mate. Oh, well done. <laughs> Why is that unfortunate? No, I was having a joke, mate. It says the training camp's in Taiwan this year. So have you ever been on a plane before? No, he's well, not. Well, that's exciting, isn't no. it? Um, but uh, I should study. Are you leaving now? Nathan, <laughs> he doesn't mean that. Probably, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go and study. Okay. Well done, mate. He is pleased. I know he is, yeah. He's... I'm going to have something stronger than a cup of tea, actually, I think. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Okay. Would you like. I should probably shoot off. Okay, no, that's fine. So, um, Morgan Matthews, who'd made the documentary Beautiful Young Minds, has spent a lot of time, um, you know, looking into neurodevelopmental disorders, so, uh, autism, Asperger's. He, what, there's a scene early on in which um, uh, Nathan's character is defined as uh, asphasic, aphasic, light sensitive, mm-hmm. and um, they're very, they're very keen to uh, to be absolutely clear that each individual person is you know the, the, has their has their own manifestations of what is sort of broadly spectrumed as as autism and they're very 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 careful not to just sort of you know simply be casual and, and offhand about that which i think is very good and uh, so basically our character what he has is he has this you know, on the one hand light sensitivity he's very he finds uh, social circumstances difficult he likes order which is one of the reasons why his math works so well and uh, i think it's played very convincing convincingly and sympathetically and understanding it played in a way that suggests a genuine understanding of the character and also understanding the particular ability that he has 
Although the film itself is somewhat schematic in terms of its narrative, I mean, you could sit down, I mean, to sort of to take that, you know, the math analogy, you know, you could sit down at the beginning and from the angles of the setup, you can kind of figure out the, you know, the, <laughs> the vertices of where the plot is going to go. The thing that makes it fly is that the performances are lovely. I mean, really, really lovely. I was about to feel who we'd seen before in um, Hugo, which you liked, right? Yeah, it was terrific. And also in Ender's Game, which nobody, I mean, nobody seemed to like Ender's Game, but I thought he was terrific in it. I thought it was an underrated film. He's great. Rafe Sport is fabulous as a Mr. Matthews, the math teacher. He's, he is just brilliant, grumpy, gruff, irritable, and yet underneath all of that, um, you know, you can tell, you you really get the sense that he's somebody who's sympathetic and yet on the outside kind of prickly, the sort of wounded bear thing. Sally Hawkins, meanwhile, does a terrific performance of hiding her anxiety, hiding her, her grief and her worry about her son's isolation behind these kind of painted on smiles and, uh, you know, sort of beamingly happy. I, I, so... It's a film which I think is made from a, with, a, with a great deal of understanding and a, and, a, and a very, very sympathetic and insightful look at all of its characters. And although the plot, as I said, is somewhat schematic... Oh, terrific performance, incidentally, as well, by Eddie Marsden. Eddie Marsden... Our friend, Eddie. ...as leader of Team UK, who is just brilliant. Almost looks like he's just walked out of a Mike Lee film with the, the, the shorts and the... Probably you know, has. Probably has. Probably, probably has. So... Yeah, the performances are really, really wonderful and plaudits to everyone for getting those performances out of uh, the cast because, you know, people say it, it's very easy to say a film is like this, but the acting is brilliant. You know, and pe- actors act well when they're in a good environment. You're watching the ensemble cast play together. You can tell that everyone is completely immersed in their roles. And it's it's often touching. It's often laugh out loud, funny, poignant and moving and sensitive. Uh, this email yep. says, Mark and Simon, I wanted to write in to tell you why X plus Y is my absolute favourite film of all time. Wow. First thing, I have Asperger's. Uh, I'm lower down on the spectrum than many others with the condition. I can, for example, be hugged, but it is still an important part of who I am. And to be honest, I have felt angered and saddened by the usual way films and other media portray those on the spectrum. We're more often than not shown as emotionless, uncaring automatons, and usually no attempt is made to see below the surface. And I hate that. I hate the fact that I feel most people's perception of what I and millions of others have is a completely wrong perception, a warped perception, an unfair perception. Basically... Other than, say, Mark Haddon's The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime and a few others, there have been very few creations that have ever got what living on the spectrum is actually like. And in comes X plus Y, a film that gets it. I first watched this film in November last year at the brilliant Leeds International Film Festival, and I will admit I walked into the cinema worried about how well the film will portray something so close to me. I hoped to the bottom of my heart that the film would be the first to understand, to comprehend, but still I worried. Within about 30 seconds, every worry was allayed because the film is astonishing, amazing, astounding, stunning, all that. If you're an Aspie or a family member of one or are friends with one or if you just want to broaden your understanding of what living on the spectrum is actually like, then I implore you, watch this film. I beg of you, watch this film, make it a success, put it in the top ten. Let its wonderful message to, uh, get heard far and wide. Let it be celebrated for the landmark creation it truly is. Uh, also, advice, don't watch the trailer. It gives too much away. Oh, really? I haven't seen the trailer. I knew nothing about it before I went in. I haven't seen the so trailer. It's, it's an anonymous... Well, uh, we've got the name, but it says... Uh, yeah. Don't mention the name, so please watch it and spread it. Well, what, what, a, what a terrific uh, email and, you know, a, a, a brilliantly insightful... Uh, uh, in, insight into opinion, insightful insight into the film. It's going to be unable to form sentences. Thank you very much for that. I, ha- I actually have no doubt it's going to go into the top ten because it has got if you've seen the poster there are sort of you know very very laudatory quotes on it and and it's it's the thing that one needs to stress is how much fun it is i mean it is very there are things in it that are very poignant often to do with the with the rafe spall's character but it is also laugh out loud funny and it's in it's you know, in many moments. I liked it very much. Graham Thomas in Tunbridge Wells. Uh, firstly, the cast are all in good form. Asa Butterfield gives a haunting performance as the young maths genius. Sally Hawkins, watchable as ever. Eddie Marsden gets to have fun. Rafe Spall ensures there's enough laughs to put many a comedy uh, to shame. Secondly, the film doesn't fall into the schmaltz trap that so often befalls others in this genre. I did feel that some of the UK scenes suffered a bit from looking a little bit televisual, but this is broken up by some beautiful shots in Taiwan. And whenever the film returns to Blighty, the chemistry between Hawkins and Spall is more than good enough to yeah. Forgive any yeah. it, flaws. It, it, the, the chemistry between them is absolutely fantastic. 
Uh, by the end, I really cared about all of these well-developed characters found the film moving without being manipulating. We have a couple of minutes left before we finish and hand over to John Inverdale. What can you tell us? Well, there's a, there's a reissue of uh, Far From the Madding Crowd, uh, the, um, the Schlesinger version from 1967. As you probably know, Thomas Vinterberg's version is coming out soon, starring Kerry Mulligan and Matthias Schoenart. Um So this is the 1967 version, which has been restored by uh, Nick Rogue, who is the cinematographer. Of course, you know, Nick Rogue then went on to be director of things like Don't Look Now and uh, Man Who Fell to Earth. And uh, stars Julie Christie, Terence Stamp, Alan Bates, Peter Finch. I mean, it is basically a who's who of enormous uh, British acting talent. At that point, actually, when it first came out, Julie Christie's casting was considered to be very controversial, too modern. Somehow, that she was she was seen as too modern to take on uh, that, that role of Best Hubert Everdeen. I thought it was terrific it, to see it on the big screen. Um, it was projected digitally beautiful uh, image but it's earth you know it's got its feet in the mud you can feel the mud and the grime but it's also got its head in the sky there's there are moments in it in which you get that um, the lens flare thing, which, you know, obviously you're not meant to get anymore with modern lenses, which always sort of places something as 1960s, early 1970s, which I love. But actually what's more significant is just that Rogue's cinematography <clears throat> is sensual and sort of lusty and vibrant in a, in a way that it's... It's a sensibility that you don't see very often in modern cinema. There is, of course, the infamous sequence in which uh, Terence Stamp, as uh, Sergeant Troy, displays his swordsman's skills by waving his sabre around the head of Julie Christie, who sort of gasps breathlessly as he waves his sabre. And it is one of the most sort of subversively understated erotic but not erotic things i mean it's 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 almost laugh out loud funny but at the same time it is still rather dazzling absolutely terrific performances peter finch in particular is great uh this has been a something else production for bbc radio 5 live next week back at our usual time two o'clock kenneth branner is going to be our special guest talking to cinderella which he's uh, which he's just directed the new yes. uh, version of movie of the week sweet francaise for me i think uh lots of stuff going to be on the podcast which are available as per normal thank you very much indeed for listening well, that was it, and it was sort of slightly shorter uh, than normal for all the reasons. It was slightly shorter. It was well, an, an hour shorter. It was a whole lot, whole lot shorter. My headphones have just become louder. Well, I'd... suddenly I'm happy. Suddenly I can... We're at podcast levels. Oh, fine. By so way, podcast levels are louder than... Absolutely. Famously, yes. Okay. I mean, everyone knows that. Okay. By the way, um, uh, a contribution from uh, the good lady Professor Her Indoors... Oh, dear. ...to our goofy comedy for girls... Yes. Uh, ...she says it's not goofy or a comedy, which sort of <laughs> means... It doesn't kind of work. Yeah, go on. Uh, but uh, girl starring Stick. Oh, Stick uh, It. Oh, Stick It. There you are. Stick girl, It. Stick yeah, it. Stick It, it is great, but I'm not sure what certificate that is. Hang on. Let me just I look thought up. it just said Stick It is also great, but no, Stick It is also great. Yeah, anyway. Stick It is terrific, but I'm. let me just check the certificate. I'm sorry, and you're going to go, is it the, no man looks things up on a computer. Well, it does happen an awful lot now. Well, I'm sorry, but if it's a way of being certain. I mean, I like Stick It very much. It's, PG, it's LM, a, is it PG? Did you just say somebody's a voice in your head just said it's well, PG? Well, voice in your head said PG-13, but that doesn't exist. Stick it is a PG here in that PG, case. In that case, PG. yeah, that is, I mean, that is a very, very good... Oh, no, hang on, that's the 2006... You know, that's it, yes, that's it. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. 2006, PG, you can have that. But, yeah, OK, it's just not goofy and not a comedy. Yeah. But anyway, but apart yeah. from that, it's perfectly fine. There's a whole bunch of other films that... But fair can enough. I just can I just show you this from the BBFC side? What you're now going to show me something show on the screen? Right, stick it is the top one. Yeah, yeah, and then followed on by that one. We can't mention that one, and I can't mention the other and one. And that goes on for about four pages. But lots of sticking. Yeah. Uh, Chris in the East Midlands. In case anyone hasn't noticed, this week is the tenth anniversary of the very first podcast, which was uh, broadcast, if that's indeed what you do, on the eleventh of March two thousand and five. And over the ten years, we've had five hundred and sixty podcasts. Right. Mark then was a very reasonable 41 and has now aged. And Simon, well, <laughs> in that brisk first 36-minute episode, 36 minutes, Mark reviewed Hostage, which I'm sure he doesn't remember, and Michael Winterbottom's Nine Songs, which he probably does. Yes. Mark's favourite films over these 10 years have been A History of Violence, Pan's Labyrinth, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, Of Time and the City, yeah. Let the Right One In, Inception, We Need to Talk About Kevin, Barbarian Sound Studio, A Royal Affair, Good Vibrations, 12 Years a Slave and The Babadook. That's, a good, a, that's a 
damn good list. A good list by anyone's standard says, Chris, but do these films hold up? Is A History of Violence really that good? Does the assassination of Jesse James by the carrot Robert Ford still hold up? I think it does, says Chris. And is Of Time in the City really worth watching? Or as Simon puts it, or as Simon Simon puts it, who wants to watch a black and white documentary documentary about about Liverpool? Liverpool, Which, you have to say, has a certain uh, uh, truth. There are times, Simon, that I... I have a Corrick role. I speak for the nation. Mm-hmm. That's what most people were saying. Apart from those who look mm-hmm. forward to a black and white documentary about Liverpool, artfully shot. As you know, what was. I think what's most impressive about this is that over the ten years, none of the cineastness has rubbed off on you at all, has it? You are still the voice of the man people. in the multiplex. I <laughs> am Joe Schmo. I am the ordinary Joe person. Schmo from Kokomo. Yes, that's that's what I do, uh, and I, I read out stuff. And I read out stuff as well as anyone else can read out stuff. Uh, are there any movies that we do if we had our proper full-length program and not been moved by the horses? Yeah, well, let's just, let's do one which is it's a it's a it's a limited release. It's on at uh, Cinema Lumiere, but it is worth mentioning. Which what, is one uh, cinema? Uh, so, well, I'm, I funnily enough, there was there's there's been a move for it to be released rather wider than that. So wider uh, than one cinema. Yes. So this is only on in one place? At the moment, I think so. Yeah, and obviously, the fact I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's the case. I think that's the case. But just this cinema? Uh, I, I, can I just do the film and then can we do the... Sorry to hassle you with awkward questions. Yeah, fine. Like, like can anyone see it? That kind of yes, thing. no, which is why I said at the moment it's very hard to see, but it is... It, there is a, a move to, to it. put it on a wider... Right. What is it? I'm actually, I've, I've lost the will to, to do this Me now. too. On, it's called El Lador, it? okay? And it's What's it called? El Lador. El Lador. El Lador. Okay. It's French. Yes! Fine. Okay, so it's... <laughs> Carry on. I'm never going to get through this. It is a blackly comic, chabrolesque thriller. What does that mean? That's a fair, that's a fair question. Okay. Uh, no one on. knows what chabrolesque okay, means. Okay, fine. So let, let, let me do it in um, Hitchcockian. Okay. okay. Yeah. Fine. Fine. So uh, it is a Hitch- a Blackley comic, Hitchcockian sort of thriller. Yes. Um, that uh, is the story of uh, a single woman, a divorced woman, who is a super fan of a sort of middle aged pop star, and she has been a super fan of his for ages. And she is also uh, clearly a fantasist. She's somebody who tells she was, she's a beautician, and she tells weird stories about waxing Klaus Barbie's daughter's legs, and everyone knows that she makes things up. And then one day she gets a knock at her door, and it is the object of her affection, saying, I need you to help me out. I've got a dead body, and I need you to... Uh... Actually, no, he doesn't say that. He says, he says, I need you to help me out. I need, you to do, I need you to drive this car, and I need you to drive it to Switzerland. I need you to do this, that, and the other with it, but don't ask me questions about it. So basically, she ends up helping him dispose of the body of his girlfriend, who has died in an old... He's accidentally been involved in her death. He's accidentally killed her. Um, he says, don't speak to anybody. He says, it's kind of strange on a train thing. You know, you sort of swap crimes over. Don't speak to anybody. And she does what she's told to do. Everything goes apparently according to plan. And then... They have to sort of not see each other because they, the whole point about the way the thing is going to work out is they don't see each other. But, of course, they've dropped a stitch. The police start getting involved. The police start to suspect her. But she is somebody who has a rich fantasy life. And as soon as they start to suspect her, the question is, is her rich fantasy life just kicking in? Is this whole thing some kind of twisted fantasy? Is she completely innocent? Is she... So it's a it is a blackly comic Chabrolesque because Chab, you know Hitchcock as filtered through Chabrol and Claude Chabrol, and uh, during the course of the movie, it's it kind of walks this knife edge between being you know kind of ghoulish humour and twisty psychological suspense, and it very very neatly unpicks these themes of fandom and of stalking and of the inversion of so so the stalker becomes the stalked. And it, it basically centres around a sort of central, interesting idea. What happens when something happens in the life of a fantasist that is more bizarre than the fantasies that they have been spinning up until that point? I rather enjoyed it. it had a terrific central performance by Swanson Kibblein, who is t- who is really, really good as this kind of unreadable but mercurial central character who gets dragged into this peculiar web of intrigue, which she enters. Very, very willingly, because as she says, it's like being in the resistance. 
Anyway, I liked it very much. Hard to see, but if you get, it's called El Lador. If you get a chance, in case it comes anywhere, in near case you. it comes anywhere near you, yes. And uh, if I wanted to look up anything else by Mr. Ch- Chabrol, Claude Chabrol, yes. What, what else should well, I? Well, shall know? we? Shall we do what you always tell me that I'm not allowed to do? Well, look something up on a computer yeah, again. No, I'm just, I'm, yeah, that's. Do you not have this information at the tips of your fingers? Anyway? Yes, but I'm don't. What I don't want to do is give you some kind of horrible sense that what I'm talking about is something that nobody else knows anything about. Okay, so I'm going to go. So the IMDb says that he is known for... Yes. Oh, it doesn't have a known for section. There you go. Well, that puts me... Oh, yeah, according to the IMDb, he's actually so not, he's not, known, actually, for, he's not well, known for anything. Sarah, well, yes, he is. Well, I mean, Sarah is probably the most famous. So, but let me, let me go. Let me go. I'll go down and see if he's uh, done any so of So here's a guy okay? who's not famous Hang on for then, anything. For anything. Girl Cutting 2, Comedy of Power, Bridesmaid, Flower of Evil, a Messy Bottle of Chocolate. This is going down... You know, actually, let's start, from the, let's start from the other end because that's probably an easier way of doing it. Uh, okay, uh, the cousins, uh, both sisters. I've sort of lost time. interest Girls, in this wise guy. Wise guy, seven deadly sins, third love, Ophelia. I mean, you made it all one sentence. I didn't. How many movies did you mention? Just well, there one. are there are all together. He's directed um, how many titles has he directed? I'm just trying to think. What you know, Madame Bovary. You must. You, 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 in fact, you did see Madame Bovary because I think it came out. Where, so these are the ones that we would have done while we've been doing the show. Okay, when did we start doing this show? The ceremony, which is the first thing I mentioned. Um, L'Enfer, no, that was probably before. I'm After Swindle, Colour of Lies, Messy Pull of Chocolate, I'm sure it's we reviewed that. It's all taking too long. Uh, all right, fine. Okay. But basically he's not famous for anything. He's really famous. Okay, all right. He's really famous. Really famous, but not particularly. But you said, if I look him up, what will I get? And actually, normally when you look somebody up on the on the IMDb, it says known for. And he's not known for anything. Well, he, it's just they haven't got that section in this Okay, very biography. Good. Very good, nicely controlled. Uh, we are going to add Enola Gay, by the way, to our playlist. Just so nicknames, that... nicknames, the French Hitchcock. No, uh, and we're also going to add Marky Moon by Television uh, to our playlist. Oh wow! Okay, we're just going to put all that eleven on. minutes of it. Yeah, we're going to put that on because because we can do whatever we want. Okay, trademark. His movies are often strong attacks on the French bourgeoisie. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll be back Alfred in Hitchcock. our normal place with normal service. Frosty leading week. ladies in the Hitchcock tradition. We leave tradition. you with Mark talking about stuff. Carry on. Was a critic for Cahiers du Cinema. My. That's where I knew his name from. That's where you knew his name from. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.